All right, I got a word for you from t- for today uh, that comes out of Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. Matthew chapter 4. I'm just going to read it to you. You don't have to turn there. You can just write it down in your notes so that uh, you can go back and read it later. But trust me, this is actually what it says. <laughs> Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 20. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Precious Heavenly Father, I pray today that you would speak to us by the power of your word and spirit. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. There's a lot to this story, and I want us to understand it before we go too far into the message. It seems to me that whenever I read this passage of Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee and seeing these two brothers, Andrew and Simon, that it almost feels like a telemarketing cold call. You know? I mean, I would hate being a telemarketer. You call people that you don't know, that have never heard of you, that have never heard of your company or your product, and you try to convince a stranger to spend their money on a product that you're offering. And 99.9% of people hang up in your face because they are not interested in hearing from a telemarketer. I think in a large part in our culture and in our time, Jesus is perceived kind of the way we perceive telemarketers. I mean, just try to walk up to somebody on the street who doesn't know you and knows nothing about Jesus and try to sell the gospel to them on the spot and see what happens. You get about the same response as a telemarketer gets. But it seems here that Jesus walks up to these two with no background, with no history, with no prior contact, and somehow by saying two words, follow me, convinces them to leave behind their entire way of life their career, and all of their hopes and dreams for their future, and follow him. And these two and others who answered that call to follow him actually would eventually, all but one, would give their lives for the decision that they made on that day by the Sea of Galilee. So what was it that would convince these two, Andrew and Simon, to turn and follow Jesus? Well, we must understand that this was not the first time that they had been introduced to Jesus. In John chapter 1, the scripture tells us after John had baptized Jesus in the Jordan and identified him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that John was walking by the Jordan River with two of his disciples. One of them happened to be named Andrew, and Jesus came walking by, and John looked at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And John's two disciples suddenly went and followed Jesus. I think that's a beautiful picture of what discipleship and ministry in the body of Christ is supposed to be be like. Ultimately, the goal is not to get you to follow me. The goal is to get you to follow Jesus. The goal is not to get you to follow living hope. The goal is to get you to follow Jesus. And John understood that it wasn't about his ministry and it wasn't about him obtaining a following for himself. His goal was to get everybody to follow Jesus. And so when he saw Jesus, he said to his disciples, you need to be following him, not me. You need to be listening to him, not me. 
And so these two disciples, they ran after Jesus. And they're following Jesus. And Jesus is walking for a while as if he does not see them, as if he does not know they are following him. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops and he turns around to these two and he says, what do you seek? Translation, why, why you follow me? What you following me for? Now, see, for me, I'm from East Oakland. If somebody's following you, you have to why be like, why are you following me? <laughs> what is this, racial profiling or something? <laughs> and they say, Lord, we just want to see where you're staying. So wh where, where are you dwelling? Where are you staying? And Jesus said, oh, come and see. And he takes them to his place, wherever he was staying, and they spent the day with him. However, when they got to the place and, and Andrew wrote down the address, he said, Jesus, I'm so sorry, but I'll be right back. It's interesting that Andrew is now in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and all of the desires of his heart have been satisfied in the presence of this one Jesus, but yet he makes the sacrifice of leaving that place. Because the first thing that came to his heart when he met Jesus was, I've got to go get my brother. It's not enough for me to be saved by myself. I need my brother to be saved. It's not enough for me to find my purpose. I need my brother to find his purpose. What if every one of us had that desire in our hearts that every time you encountered the living presence of God, that every time you encountered the love of Jesus, that there was something on the inside of you that said, now I've got to go get somebody else. He wrote down the address, and he took a great risk because Jesus could have said, Psh, forget you then. But he says, I'll be right back. And he runs home, and he has a brother named Simon. And he says, brother, we found the one whom Moses and the prophets spoke about. We found the Messiah. Come and see for yourself. And Simon follows his brother Andrew, and Andrew brings him to Jesus. You see, Andrew did not simply invite him to Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. You see, there's a difference between an inviter and a bringer. A lot of folks invite people to church, but when was the last time you brought somebody to church? you got to be a bringer. And Andrew and Simon, they get to spend the day with Jesus. This is not actually full-on discipleship. They had not yet abandoned everything to follow Jesus. They simply got to hang out with him for a day. And when that day was over, they went on about their business. They were still fishermen. They were still doing the thing. They were running the family business. They were doing what was expected of them as good sons in their family. And that was their number one priority in life. However, they could not forget the impact of spending a full day with Jesus, the Messiah. Now, some time goes by. We don't know how much time goes by, but maybe it's days, maybe it's weeks, maybe it's months. We don't know, but we know that soon after this experience, Jesus was teaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Meanwhile, Simon and Andrew had been out on the lake fishing all night long. And as they were out on the lake, the Sea of Galilee is pretty small. Imagine like Lake Merritt. It's, it's a little bigger than Lake Merritt, but it's not like a sea. It's not like an ocean. It's, it's more like a big lake. That's what the Sea of Galilee is. So they're out on the Sea of Galilee. These are expert fishermen, but the fish were not biting that night. And they worked graveyard. They fished all night long. In the morning, they caught no fish. 
and they come back to shore, and as they pull up on the shore, they pull their empty nets out of their boat, and they start cleaning their nets, and they're looking over here to the right, and there's Jesus standing on the shore, teaching a multitude of people, and the multitude is pressing him into the water. And so Jesus, I mean, Andrew and Simon, they're like, whoa, check that out, man, that's him. That's the dude, man. So they're cleaning their nets, and they're listening to him teach. They're washing their nets, they're pulling all the debris out of their net, and they're listening to him teach. And they get their nets all folded up, and all of a sudden, Jesus climbs into Simon's boat because the crowds were pushing him into the water. Every time he'd take a step back, the crowd would take a step forward. And so they're back, they back him all the way into the water. And finally, he climbs in Simon's boat, and he looks over at Simon, and he says, push me out just a few feet. So Simon pushes him out a few feet, drops an anchor in the ground. Simon's thinking, man, this is awesome. The Messiah is in my boat. This is crazy. And Jesus teaches the multitudes. Now Simon is finished cleaning his net. He's got it all folded up, all bundled up, all tied up. He's ready to pull the boat out of the water and lay them all out to dry to get ready to go back out fishing late tonight. And now Jesus is finished teaching. So Simon walks over to the boat with his net, and Jesus says, why don't you hop in and shove back out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch? This is in Luke chapter 5, by the way. And Simon says, but Lord, we're expert fishermen, and we fished all night long, and we caught no fish. Now, we know that you're a great religious leader and all, but I don't think you know anything about fishing. I know you're a great religious leader and all, but I don't think you know anything about computer science. I know you're a great religious leader and all, but you don't know anything about my realm, my vocation, my work. How many know that no matter what field you're in, Jesus is actually the expert of that field? And Jesus sets this up. He says, you've heard my teaching about the kingdom of heaven, but now you're going to see that my lordship extends beyond heaven. It extends to the earth as well. Now you're going to see that I'm king not only in your church, but at your job and in your home and in your community and at your school. He says, Lord, we fished all night and caught no fish, but nevertheless, at your word, we'll give it a try. So Simon unties his net, throws it in the boat, jumps in the boat, leaves Andrew standing there going, what's going on? Now Simon and Jesus press out into the deep for a catch. And Andrew's probably sitting there thinking, I knew him first. I'm the one who brought you to him. Sometimes the people you bring to Jesus are going to surpass you in their walk with the Lord. So they get out in the deep, and Simon's like, so just throw my net out? Jesus, yeah, just throw it out. So Simon casts out the net. I can see Jesus just kind of glancing over the side and whistling. All the fish. <laughs> And suddenly, every fish in the entire lake jumps into Simon's net. So many fish that the net starts to break. And Peter is horrified. Peter is terrified. In the natural, Peter would have been exuberantly excited because you just made me rich. You just made me the most successful fisherman in Israel. If you would go out with me on this boat every night, I'll be a rich man in a week. 
Everybody else is coming home with empty nets. I'm coming back with more fish than I can count. I'll be the king fisherman, but Peter in that moment is not thinking in the natural. He realizes that if this man can see where the fish are in this lake, he can also see where the sin is in my heart. And all of a sudden, Simon felt exposed and afraid. Because I don't want to be around this person who can see right through me who knows exactly what I've done in secret. The stuff I don't want anybody to know. And Peter says, Lord, you're going to have to go away from me. He said, Lord, depart from me. Lord, get away from me. Lord, I need you to leave me alone because I'm a sinful man. Lord, don't waste your time on me. I'm a sinful man, and I know you can see the fish, and you can also see the sin in my heart, and you know that I'm a sinful man, and I can't stand being around the one who knows how sinful I am and how undeserving of your presence I am. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, Simon. From now on, you're going to catch people. There's a piece that I forgot. Back in John 1, when Andrew brought Simon to Jesus' house, Jesus takes one look at him and says, You're Simon, the son of John, but your name is going to be Cephas, which means a stone. Cephas is the Aramaic translation of the term Petros, which is Peter, and it means a rock. Jesus looks at him, and the first thing he does is speaks of his destiny. Wow. You're going to be a rock. You're not a rock yet, but you're going to be a rock. Encounter one, come hang out with me. Encounter two, come fish with me. And now they pull up back to the shore, and Simon has to go through the process of cleaning his fish and mending his nets. And Andrew is still there on the shore waiting. And Andrew jumps out and he sees all these fish. He said, what happened? And Jesus jumps out of the boat and just starts walking along the shore, watching Andrew and Simon cleaning their nets and washing their fish. And they're all excited about the catch. And now Jesus looks over at the two of them and says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And Luke 5.11 says, and they forsook all and followed him. And here in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, it says, and they left their nets and followed him. They walked away from the biggest catch of fish that they had ever had in their life because something greater was beckoning them. Yeah because something more valuable, because something more important, because something that had a greater priority was calling them, saying, come follow me. They went from Jesus saying, come and see. Which is really that stage in which you're first just trying to figure this Christian thing out. When you first come to the church and you're just kind of there and you're not there because you love Jesus or you know Jesus, you haven't encountered Jesus, and you just want to come and see. Jesus says, I, I want you to have that come and see phase. I don't want you to feel like the moment you walk in the door, you're expected to make a lifelong commitment and a lifelong decision. Jesus says, come and see. Come and check it out. Come and hang out with me for a day. The only difference is that it's better for you to come and see Jesus instead of coming to see the church. 
See, often people linger in that come and see phase because what they're actually coming to see is the church. And you never get out of that come and see phase until you make a decision, even if you make it at church, that what you're actually coming to see is Jesus and that you're actually going to pursue him with all of your heart, mind, and soul instead of simply letting the service pass you by. And then from the come and see phase, there's the come and fish phase. And the come and fish phase is when all of a sudden you begin to experience the presence of Jesus outside of the church service. All of a sudden you start having these moments where you feel that Jesus visited you on your job, or Jesus visited you at your home, or Jesus visited you in your car, at your school, in your context, outside, and all of a sudden you realize he's not just Lord in the church but he's Lord everywhere. But from the come and fish phase, Jesus invites you into the third phase. Come and follow. Now, he says, now you have identified me to be a greater priority and of greater value than anything in your life. Come and follow. And I must, in, I must say at this point, that the invitation to come and follow Jesus with everything in your life does not mean quit your secular job and serve the church full time. No. Come and follow me, not come and follow church. And the whole point of us coming together as the church is to come and follow Jesus. And by the way, there are some who will quit their jobs because that's where Jesus is leading them. But that's not for everybody. It's not for nobody, but it's also not for everybody. Make that clear. And if it is for you, praise the Lord. But here's the rub. Jesus says, if you come and follow me, you can keep on fishing. I see that you're a fisherman. That's awesome. I need some fishermen in my kingdom. But if you come and follow me, I'm going to reprioritize your fishing so that you're not fishing for fish, but you're fishing for people. That is, I'm going to take what you already do and I'm going to turn it toward the service of my kingdom. So if you're a fisherman, now you're going to fish for people. And it's interesting that Jesus does not say, come and follow me and you can fish for the Lord. No, he says, come and follow me and you can fish for people, for men and women, meaning whatever you're good at, whatever you have, it, when you know when God has turned it towards his kingdom because he's given you the heart of Andrew to go get your brother. Amen. And Jesus is able to use whatever you have, whatever you do, I think the reason Jesus said this with a fisherman is because that was the most common, the most insignificant job that you could do in Israel at that time. That was like, you know, working at McDonald's or something. And it's like, I mean, it'd be one thing if Jesus went into, you know, the highest level industry in the land and turned that toward the kingdom. You can imagine, anybody could see how that could be turned toward the kingdom. But a fisherman, Jesus says, watch me. You don't think I could use a fisherman? Watch me. I just did. Bam. Amen. 
take that. I mean, this is, this is what's crazy. And you see Jesus doing this all throughout the gospel. I mean, you remember the woman at the well in John chapter 3? She was literally a fisher of men. I mean, she woke up every morning. Her song was, if I only had a man. You know that song, if I only had a brain? No, hers was, if I only had a man. And she was, she had to be, she was extremely persuasive. And she was probably fine, too. I mean, because think about it. No, I'm serious. Like, you got to keep it real. Think about it. This woman had had five husbands, which is anathema in ancient Israel. How bad did that woman have to be to convince the second guy to marry her after she had already been married? Right? Now, you could say, man, she was really beautiful to be able to get a second guy. She convinced five dudes... Five consecutive husbands. She was an expert fisher of men. She was a man eater. Now watch this, which means she was persuasive and she had an ability to connect with people. And Jesus says, perfect. So when he comes into Samaria, who does he set up a divine appointment with? He sends his disciples away so that he could meet with this extremely flawed woman. Why? Because to him, it doesn't matter how flawed you are. He sees your kingdom purpose. He says, this woman's going to follow me and I'm going to make her a fisher of men. But not in the way she's doing it now. And at the end of this encounter Jesus has with this woman, what does she do? She goes into the town of Samaria and convinces the whole town to come see Jesus. She literally leads an entire town to Jesus. The woman who was known as the town whore becomes the town evangelist. Why? Because she met Jesus. Now, if you would have approached this woman and said, Listen, I've got, I've got this vision for your life, and I really think that God can use you in this way. You would have never been able to convince her that she could lead the whole town to Jesus. She would have felt completely disqualified. Can I say to you that when it comes to leading people to Jesus, every single one of us feels disqualified, myself included. Do you know that every single time I share the gospel with anyone, I feel unqualified to do so? That, that step of sharing your faith with anyone, it leads you into this uncharted territory. Because I don't know this person, and I don't know what their background is, and I don't know what their experiences are, and I don't know what their questions are, and I don't know what their objections are, and I don't know where their hurts and their pains are, and what if they got questions that I can't answer, and, and what if they've been through stuff that I don't understand, and what if I can't relate to where they are, and what if I share wrong and miss it? Now I'm a bad witness to Jesus, and, and what if I push them further away from Jesus than they were before? My, I have all of these, I go through that too every single time. And here's what's crazy. Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. I will make you. It's my responsibility, not yours. It's not about you getting more training. It's not about you getting more education. It's not about you studying harder. Just follow Jesus. I will make you 
a fisher of men. Jesus says, if you follow me, I will take responsibility for making you. I will take responsibility for redirecting your gifts and passions and talents and gifts. I already said gifts twice. <laughs> and your passions and your talents and your gifts. He says, I will take responsibility for directing all of that towards my kingdom. All you have to do is follow. But here's the kicker. How do you know if you're following? Have you become a fisher of men? Then follow a little closer. Has he turned your life towards his kingdom? Then follow a little closer. Are you seeing a harvest of souls in your life? Then follow a little closer. I don't know about you, but I wake up every day with this sincere and deep desire to follow a little closer because I haven't seen the kind of harvest of souls that I desire. I need to follow a little closer because too many days go by without finding someone to share the gospel with in my own life. And so I want to follow a little closer. And suddenly I, I look back over my life and I realize that every time I have led somebody to Jesus. It was an experience that was facilitated by the leading of the Holy Spirit, not by my own ability to know what to say, when to say it, or who to say it to. And that every time I've tried to make it happen on my own, it always fails. I was thinking about earlier this summer in June, we were in Singapore and I had to take a 25 minute Uber drive where my wife and my daughter and I had left our luggage at this place and I left my, my family at the hotel and I ca caught the Uber and I drove, he drove me 25 minutes to this place and we sat in utter, utter silence. And he had a Middle Eastern name, obviously of the Muslim persuasion, or at least it, it seemed that it was highly likely that he came from the Muslim persuasion. And, uh, you know, I don't take it upon myself to, you know, pressure anybody or I don't just say anything to anybody, but we get there and when I load my bags in his car and we're getting ready to head back to the hotel, the Holy Spirit speaks to me just as soon as we pulled out of the gate of the house we were leaving. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, share the gospel with this guy and don't go easy. Go hard. And I looked at my watch and I knew I had 20 minutes to share the gospel with this guy. What's going to happen in 20 minutes? But the Holy Spirit said, I just felt this nudging of the Spirit in my heart. It wasn't like an audible voice. It's just I felt moved in my heart that the Holy Spirit was saying to me, share the gospel with this guy. Go hard. Don't go easy. So I said to him, excuse me, are you a Muslim? Now, by the way, that's probably not the best question to ask. <laughs> like, don't take notes right now. It's I was just like, I got to do this quick. I don't know how else except to just jump, you know? And he said, no, I'm an atheist. I said, really? So uh, how did that happen? He said, well, I grew, up I grew up Muslim, but in high school I did some research and I discovered that there was no truth in Islam. I said, really? He said, yeah, so I became an atheist. I said, well, there's a difference between not finding God in Islam and concluding that God doesn't exist. I want to know how you became an atheist. I mean, did you search out every other religion and not find him there? And did you search out the other ends of the universe and not find him there? I want to know how you came to the conclusion that God doesn't exist just because he's not in Islam. 
He said, okay, maybe I'm not an atheist. Maybe I'm just a free thinker. I said, awesome, nice to meet you, Mr. Freethinker. <laughs> All I hear you saying is that you haven't found God. He said, you know what, that's true. I said, well, I have, and I'm going to share him with you right now. He said, awesome. I start preaching the gospel. In five minutes, he starts to whimper. Another five minutes, he starts to cry. Another five minutes, he starts bawling. And just then, we're about to pull up in front of our hotel, and I put my hand on his shoulder, and I said, repeat this prayer after me. And I led him in the prayer, and he received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And then he starts wailing and screaming. And I get out of the car, and he jumps out of the car and runs around the car and buries his face in my chest and starts heaving and weeping and crying and heaving and weeping and crying. And he says to me, I've never heard anything like this before in my life. You know what I told him? Side note. I told him, your purpose, the reason you exist, is to be the object of the Father's love. He created you because he wanted to love you. And your whole life you have been searching for satisfaction and fulfillment and never found it because you're living outside of the love of God. But Jesus came to bring you inside of the love of God. And he did so by taking all of your sins and bearing them on his body on the cross. And he arose again from the dead on the third day. And he invites you through faith in him to come back to the heart of the Father. Simple gospel. Simple gospel. And I went upstairs just overjoyed. Can I say to you that there's no greater joy than seeing one person come into the love of the Father, receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? I rejoice more over that one soul than I would rejoice over a thousand buildings. I rejoice over that one soul than if somebody were to drop $10 million into the offering plate. I rejoice more over that one soul than I would rejoice over the greatest opportunity, over the greatest riches, because nothing is more valuable than going and getting your brother and saying, come, we found the one. I want you to experience what I experienced in his presence. I want you to find what I found in his presence. Come, we have found the one. Nothing, there's no greater joy. As a house, God is calling us on a journey. And that journey is to reap a harvest of souls in the San Francisco Bay Area. Do you realize that right now in the San Francisco Bay Area, 96% of the people who dwell here do not know Jesus? Only 4% know Jesus. Do you know what we need? We need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that brings about a harvest of souls. We need to see the doors of the kingdom of God swung wide open, and we need to see multitudes coming into the kingdom and coming to Jesus. The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. And the laborers are simply those who have come to the come and follow stage and heard Jesus say, if you come and follow me, I'll teach you how to fish for men. As a house, Jesus is calling us not just as individuals, but as a house, Jesus is standing before us saying, this is the season in which I'm inviting you to come and follow me. And if you follow me in this season, I'm going to make you fishers of men. If you follow me as a house, I'm going to make your house a soul-winning house. You're going to see a multitude of souls come to salvation in this house. If you follow me in this season, this is a supernatural moment. And this is a divine moment. 
And yes, going to El Cerrito is a part of that moment. Going to El Cerrito is going to give us a permanent home because listen, let me tell you something. I know, you and I know, those of us who have been walking with Christ for a while, we know that the church is not a building. The church is a people. But if you talk to somebody on the street and say, what's the church? They look around for a church building and they go, that thing over there. They're not interested in coming to a community center or a hotel or an office building. They want to find a church. They, when people on the street, when their hearts open to come to Jesus, they look for a church building. Do you realize that statistically, churches that do not have a building last 10 years? And in the 10th year, they experience a dramatic decline. And by the 15th year, at best, they are dead. Do you realize that we're on borrowed time? That we're 16 years in and we've never had a permanent space. And after 16 years, God says, now's the time. And he gives us a permanent space. Do you realize how significant and how divine that is? It's because God is opening up the gates in the Bay Area and opening up the windows of heaven and saying, now it's time to enter into the future that I have ordained for you. It's about a harvest of souls. I want to say that it's easy for you on the San Francisco side to think that this is just about Emeryville, that this is just about the Emeryville campus extending itself and expanding itself and having more space. And I want to say to you that this is not just about Emeryville, that San Francisco needs God more than ever before, and that God has set you as a beacon in that city, and that God has set you as a city set upon a hill and you cannot be hidden. And that this time and this, this fund and this campaign is not just about a building for Emeryville, but it's about a vision for the San Francisco Bay Area. And God is looking for our hearts to be united as one on both sides of the bay around this time and around this campaign and around this initiative because God is truly leading us on into our destiny and we're going to see a harvest in the Bay Area, not just in El Cerrito and not just in Emeryville and not just in San Francisco, but in the Bay Area area. Wouldn't it be amazing if God allowed us to reach 1% of the Bay Area for Jesus? Do you know how much 1% of the Bay Area is? That's 90,000 people. 90,000 people. And people might say, you know, pastor, don't get, you know, too big of a head and think that, you know, it's just about you building a bigger kingdom for yourself. What? What? I talk, to, I talk to people there, they know I, we shouldn't think about growing as a church. We shouldn't think about numerical growth. It's about kingdom growth, not numerical growth. The kingdom doesn't grow unless more souls come into it. Yeah. Amen. There's no such thing as non-numerical kingdom growth. <laughs> we can't be satisfied until every person who lives in the Bay Area knows Jesus. Then our church can stop growing. Then we can stop planting more campuses. Then we can stop planting more churches. But until that happens, we're going to pursue more growth. We're going to pursue more souls, more campuses. Why? Not about growing us, but it's about emptying hell. It's about bankrupting the kingdom of hell. And it's about flooding the kingdom of heaven with more souls. I want there to be more souls coming into the kingdom than the angels know what to do with. And I know you might think, Pastor, I've heard you talk this way for years. And if you've been around long enough, you know I've been talking this way for 16 years. 
And you know what? I'm going to keep talking this way till the day I die. With every breath in my body, as long as there is blood in my veins and breath in my lungs, I'm going to declare that there will be a harvest of souls. And I'm going to preach us toward that harvest of souls with all of my might until Jesus overtakes my proclamation with his own presence. Until he descends from heaven with a shout. And I will continue to say that this is the time and that this is the day and that this is the hour. But do you know what's different about this season? What's different about this season is that God has already given us a property in El Cerrito. And that is a great sign. You know, 16 years ago when we first started, we thought God was going to give us a building in a year. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember we were crying out to God and praying to God for a, a building. And Sean comes to me one day. He goes, I had a dream about you last night. And he said, I had a dream that you were on this invisible elevator. And every time you would rise up a level, the enemy would attack you and knock you down a level. You remember that? And then you would rise up two levels, and the enemy would attack you and knock you back down two levels. And you'd rise up three levels, and the enemy would attack you and knock you back down four levels. He said, and this went on for years. He said, but all of the sudden, there was a major breakthrough in the heavens. The attack of the enemy was defeated, and you were taken up to the top level. He said, and when you got there, you looked at me and said, it's done. And I said to you, what's done? And you said, we got the building. At that time, I didn't understand that dream. I knew God was in it, but I didn't know what God was saying. Because the thing I didn't like was that it sounded like God was saying, this is going to take a long time. <laughs> and there's going to be a lot of warfare around it. But at the end of this long fight, I'm going to give you the victory. And the sign that I've given you the victory is I'm going to give you a building. God gave us that dream 16 years ago. And guess what's happened today? We got the building. But the building is a sign. It's a sign of something greater than a building. And I cannot stress that enough. The building is a sign. If we were raising money to buy and refurbish a building, the number on that campaign would look more like $9 million. 1.5 is nothing in the grand scheme of things. I don't know. In the beginning, what, like 16 years ago? I had a number? I don't even remember. It was probably a lot more than that. You remember what it was? Like $50 million. See, I, I, see, I see the look on Kev's face. Because Kev, he remembers. He would, he would come talk to me and say, OK, PB, um, check it out, my friend. Um, <laughs> I know you're excited, but telling the church we're going to raise $50 million and there's like a hundred of us. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's probably not. <laughs> I know that excites you, but that don't excite everybody else. <laughs> I'm just so thankful for the people who have been patient with me. I want to take the pressure off of everybody right now. You know what this campaign is about? I'm going to say from the start, all you have to do is follow Jesus. And this is a step that God is giving us to say, 
in this way, I'm calling you to partner with me to become fishers of men. This is how I'm calling you to sow into the harvest of souls in the Bay Area. And all I'm asking is that you take this pamphlet and this commitment card home and you pray and you ask Jesus and then you follow him. He'll make you. He'll make you a fisher of men. Now let me say this. This is what's so encouraging. We got an email uh, the week before last that the Lord had already put it on someone's heart to make the first offering for this endeavor. And 1% was written in one check, one check for $15,000 that's already started off this campaign. And I want to say to you, secondly, that my wife and I have already made our pledge. And it is a faith pledge, but it is not a ridiculous faith pledge. See, I went to my wife, I was like, let's give $100,000. And she, you know, she had a Kevin moment. She's like, okay, um, baby. <laughs> She's like, uh, okay, here's the deal. We could give $100,000. We could say we could give $100,000, but it would require a miracle. And then if that miracle doesn't come, let's say we, we promise $100,000, and then there's no miracle, we end up giving nothing. How about we make a faith pledge that will stretch us? Maybe even that will stretch us right to the edge, but it's still doable with what we have right now. And then if the Lord blesses us with extra, we can increase it. And I said, that's wisdom right there. <laughs> What's that verse in the Bible? Listen to your wife, Abraham. And she goes, man, I'm so wise. <laughs> and so I want to encourage you with the same admonition. Let this be a pledge that stretches you. But let it be in proportion to your faith. And put those two things together. It stretches me, but it's doable. But I have to activate my faith to make it doable. And if we move in this way, we're going to see God do great and awesome things. And one last thing I have to say. Commitment Sunday is going to be March 1st, right here in the house. We're going to bring these pledge cards. We're going to make our commitments to the Lord right then on March 1st, here on Sunday morning on both sides of the bay. But prior to that, on Friday night, February 21st, we're having an event called Advanced Commitment Night. And we're going to do that at the property in El Cerrito. And what we're going to do on Advanced Commitment Night is everyone whom the, whom, whose heart has been stirred by the Lord and you're ready to go with your commitment, you're going to come on Advanced Commitment Night and we're going to make our commitments, we're going to make our pledges to the Lord early. And then when we get here on Commitment Sunday, we're going to report how the Lord has already begun to work the miracle as the pledges have come in. We have so much more to share with you, but at the end of the day, I don't want to get it twisted. And, and, and maybe I've talked too much about the money component of it already, but I want to get back to the heart of today's message, and it is this. Jesus is inviting us to follow him. And he says, if you follow me, I'll do the work. If you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Bow your heads and let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I speak your blessing over these, your sons and daughters.
And I thank you, Father, that you have led us through many dangerous toils and snares, through troubles seen and unseen, through many a wilderness and many a ravine. And you've led us to this place. Lord, when a people has been in the wilderness for as long as we've been, it's hard for us to then shift our hearts and actually believe that you're taking us into our promised land. But Lord, I pray that you would remove the unbelief from our hearts and that you would replace it with faith that this is the time, that this is the hour to enter into the divine destiny that you have ordained for us before the foundation of the world, that there would be a harvest of souls. Holy Spirit, I pray that you speak to every heart and every soul and give us the heart of Andrew. I got to go get my brother. It's not enough for me to experience your presence. I got to go get my brother. It's not enough for me to be saved. I got to go get my brother. I got to go get my neighbor. I got to go get my friend. I got to go get my sister. I got to go get my mother. Give us the heart of Andrew today. And give us joy to see you climb into Peter's boat and shove off into the deep with him. The joy of knowing, Lord, thank you that you allowed me to bring him. I speak your, your blessing, your strength, and your encouragement over every soul gathered in this house today. And I give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Give the Lord a shout of praise.